We're looking at the topic of glorification, and our text is Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You that Your Word doesn't return void when it's proclaimed. We're thankful that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of the Lord. And so this morning, Lord, we long to hear about how You have saved us, You are saving us, and You will save us. Lord, I pray specifically for those this morning that that are just longing for more of your presence, Lord. Longing for redeemed bodies from the ailments that they struggle with and are plagued with in this life. Lord, we know that we have a better home that awaits us, yet we have much work to do here as you're making us new. And so, Lord, this morning I pray for your servant Patrick that you would calm his heart and be that he would be an instrument, a vessel of the Holy Spirit and that the Spirit would use the Word to pierce our hearts and make us more like Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. We are finishing up this series called Made Alive, and it's this, uh, this theology of salvation of what happens from, from the beginning to, to the end. And Ryan gave us this, this uh, visual of us running with a blindfold, thinking we're going the right way, and someone's calling out, hey, you're going the wrong way. And, you know, we're just saying, no, we're fine. And then this blindfold falls off, and we're like, oh man, I am going the wrong way. And this idea of us coming back um, to God, and it's this idea of ordo salutis that Ryan gave us, this big fancy word from, from election all the way to, to glorification. So when Ryan uh, said, hey, Patrick, would you like to speak on glory and glorification? I said, sure, and I did what any of us would do. I googled, what is glory? And then I got a little confused and said, 
What is glory? Bible. What is glory? Christian. Got a little more confused, so I cheated and said, what is glory? Tim Keller. What is... <laughs> and it didn't really work out, but um, I say that because, you know, glory and this, this term of glorification, we, we throw it out so easily at church, you know, we're like, man, God deserves all this glory, or man, all that glory, God is so deserving of that glory, and then someone says, you know, what does glory mean? And we're like, it actually, what does that mean? And so I'm looking it up, and I, I'm studying this word glory, and it, it just is attributed to, to so much power. This word glory has, has so much just weight with it, and it's attributed to words like, like power and light, uh, splendor, majesty, and all these words that, you know, you think in the English dictionary, like glory is attributed to that. And not only that, but it, it's saying that God is, is worthy of all this glory. And then glorification, um, it's this, this super just awesome uh, just word meaning like the ultimate perfection of believers, that God is finally going to remove all trace of sin from, from Christians. And not only that, but we're finally going to get that resurrected body. We're finally going to get that, that body that we've been longing for, and we're finally going to be conformed in the image of Christ. So I almost like thinking about it in terms like, like a car wash. So I don't wash my own car because I'm lazy, so I go to the car wash. And what do you do? You go up there, you click a few buttons, you pay five bucks, and you put your car in neutral, and you're just kind of driving down this thing, and these things are hitting you, and it's cleaning you, and it's, it's taking off dirt, it's, it's making your car clean, and at the end of it, what happens? Your car is, is removed of all, all dirt right now, probably removed of all pollen, and your car is finally clean. And glorification is, is kind of like that process. But he, here's the problem, is that every single one of us in here, we're chasing glory in the wrong places. And what that's leading is, is we're chasing empty glory, and that, that leads to suffering in our lives. Chasing empty glory, chasing vain glory is going to lead to suffering in our lives. I think about, um, you know, in the U.S., you know, one of the fundamental principles of the United States, the Declaration of Independence, says this, you know, all men are created equal with, uh, you have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, good things, but this pursuit of happiness, I think we could substitute it with the pursuit of glory, and it, it's almost making us fall. It, it makes us fall, it makes us suffer. Erica and I were on vacation uh, two weeks ago, and we're on an Uber, and the Uber driver's from Somalia, and he's telling us that he moved here um, for those three reasons, to find a better life, for liberty, freedom, and this idea to, to find um, happiness. He's, he's pursuing happiness. He's pursuing this better life, and it, it's not really there for him. He's not finding it. Uh, he wants to go back to Somalia. When I was a freshman in high school, uh, I was trying out for the basketball team, and this was, this was like my life. I had to make this freshman basketball team, because if I made the freshman basketball team, my life would be complete. Not only did I make the freshman basketball team, I was the starting point guard of the freshman basketball team. But my freshman basketball team went 1-16. in 16. If you guys <laughs> don't know what that means, it means that we won one game and lost 16. And the story gets worse because the one game we won, I didn't play. So I was like, 
awesome. So, you know, like seriously, I was like, man, I have to be on this team. And I made the team and I was like, yes. And then by the end of the season, I was like, I never want to play basketball ever again. Um, I think about some, some bigger people. Um, if you guys know anything about me, I love sports. One of my least favorite people is this guy named Tom Brady. Um, Tom Brady is probably the best quarterback to ever play football. He's a five-time Super Bowl champion, two- or three-time MVP. He has a supermodel wife, great, uh, great life, great kids. His bank account probably has more commas in it than mine has numbers. Like, he's got it all together. And um, in an interview with 60, 60 Minutes, um, the interviewer asked Tom Brady, like, hey, you've reached the pinnacle of success. Like, you've, you've made it in life, in your career, in life. Like, you have everything anyone could ever want, anything anyone could ever, like, ask for. And what he said was, like, every pastor's dream. It was something so profound. He says, honestly, I thought it would be more. I thought that winning all these things, having all this money, having the MVP, having the life, I thought it would be more. I thought it would bring more joy. And I think the cause of that is that we're all searching for this empty glory. We're all striving for this empty glory, and it leaves us empty. And it causes suffering in our life. And this suffering, it makes us feel unclean. So going back to that car wash illustration, you know, we don't go to a car wash if our car is clean, unless you're weird, you know, it's just kind of weird. You go when your car is dirty, and if you're unclean, how does that make you feel? And not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. How does that uncleanliness, how does that shame, that guilt, how does that make you feel? So what we're about to uncover in these next 20 to 25 minutes is this big idea that suffering is the pathway to glory. And the first point is that we are going to suffer in this world before we're glorified. And the second point being that this promised glory is so much better than we could ever ever imagine. So, um, going back to the text, um, I'm just going to read it really fast. It says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, so right off the bat, Paul says, you know, we're going to suffer. So, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So right off the bat... um, from, from the very beginning of creation, it's this idea that we're created for glory. What we see in Genesis is something that we don't see here on earth today. And it's this idea of perfect communion between God and his people. We see Adam and Eve in perfect communion and perfect fellowship with God and his people. And then what happens in chapter 3? We see, we see the fall, right? And what, what is that? The, the serpent says, you know, did God really say that? Like, no, that's not true. And Adam and Eve, they're chasing empty glory, right? They're chasing empty glory. They eat from the fruit. And what does that cause? It causes the fall. It causes suffering in their lives. And from that, it causes suffering in our lives. 
we are still feeling the effects, the remnants of original sin from the garden that we feel today. Um, even just thinking of, of, you know, physically, what are some of those physical ailments? I think for the first time in my life, I, I feel the effects of pollen, and it is horrible. You know, I go outside, and my nose becomes like a faucet. I have this crazy headache all the time, and it's, it's horrible. And then there's some bigger things in this world. You know, some of us know people or currently are, are battling cancer. Um, you know, our bodies fail us when we get older. I got elbowed in the eye yesterday, and it really hurt. Um, you know, there's pains in this world, like going through a miscarriage. You know, there are things that are really, really hard in this world. And all of that is attributed to, to the remnants of that original sin in, in Genesis. But I think here's what we need to remember is that this has always been part of God's plan. It's always been part of God's plan A. I think we're, we're so easily forgetful, and we can think that God made Adam and Eve, and then they sinned, and God's like, oh, man, here we go. I have to make a new plan. No, it's always, always been this way, that God intended that to happen. He intended the fall. He intended the suffering to, to happen in our lives. And I think Jesus on the cross is almost like the climax of suffering. I don't, think you, I don't think we'll talk to Jesus and he'll be like, man, I went on this awesome vacation for a few hours on the cross. Like, he won't say that. It was, it was hard. Here's this guy that was broken, uh, beat up, spit on, mocked, accused of something he didn't do on the cross. But here's, here's the thing is, without the suffering on the cross, we don't get the resurrection. Without the suffering on the cross, we don't get the ascension. Without the suffering on the cross, we don't get this picture of glorification. Um, most of us struggle not looking at, at the whole picture, like taking a step back and looking at God's big picture that he's put in front of us, but we're, we're so focused on, on just kind of what's going on right now. I kind of think about it like making a, or doing a puzzle. You know, when you make a puzzle or you do a puzzle, you don't just start putting things together. That would be crazy. You'll never finish it. But what do you do? You look at the picture first, and then you, you start putting some, some things together. You put the corners first. This side has a little bit of red. Let's get all the red pieces. This side has some green. Let's get some of the green pieces. And God's story is almost the same way. The Bible is 66 different books where Genesis would be a corner piece. Revelation is this other corner piece. You know, Leviticus is this green piece. We can't just take the book of Ephesians and say, you know, I'm going to read this, and this is the whole Bible. But you don't get Revelation without the fall in Genesis. It, it's an incomplete picture of what's happening. And suffering has always been part of God's plan A. Um, when I was 16 or 17 years old, uh, my grandma got, she got diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer. And it broke me to the core because I thought I was this, this super strong believer. I thought I had my life together. And something like cancer just, just it broke me. And I started questioning the goodness of God. I started questioning, you know, if you say that you love me, if you say that you love people, why would you give someone something like cancer? And it, it really made me start questioning who God is, the goodness of God, and I was broken. But what that brokenness led to was, you know, this very conceited 16, 17-year-old kid who thought he had his life together to start realizing, maybe I need to start reading what's in here. Maybe instead of just hearing God is good, maybe I should start looking up, why does the Bible say God is good? And that brokenness led me to, to reading who God is 
And I went off to college and I started getting involved in, in campus ministries and really started realizing who God was. And it started to make more sense. That if I, if I stopped at when I was 16 and my grandma got cancer, it, it, it doesn't make sense. It's an incomplete picture of the whole story. It's like I'm only 26 right now. The puzzle's not finished. But what we see is that we know what the finished puzzle is. And it's this picture of us starting in this garden with Adam and Eve and ending with this picture of Revelation and, and this beautiful new city. And like I said, it, it's this beautiful picture of if there's no fall in Genesis, then there's no need for this Savior. And without this Savior, there's no suffering on the cross, there's no resurrection, there's no ascension. And then there's, this, there's not this beautiful picture of glorification. Um, the second point is that we are promised, this promised glory is so much better than we could ever, ever imagine. Um, Erica and I were expecting our first child in August, and first of all, women who go through pregnancy, like, it's just <laughs> incredible what you guys, like, have to go through. Like, the things you can't eat, the things you, you start craving, you know, you're, you're nauseous, throwing up, and then not even the childbirth part. And it, it's hard, like, childbirth, I made the mistake of YouTubing childbirth. <laughs> yeah, big, big mistake. But... <laughs> It's this picture that I know in August, Erica's going to be in the hospital and, you know, going through the pains of childbirth. And it's, it's going to be hard for her. But we know when our baby girl comes out, it, it's going to be beautiful. And we're going to love that child. And I know that the pain that she goes through right now is not going to be worth comparing to how much, you know, we love that child, how much we care for that child. And Paul says this, that, you know, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to it. The things that we're struggling with right now, the pain, it's not worth comparing to the glory that we're going to have in heaven. Uh, Doug Wilson says this, and I love it. He says, we are co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected, co-ascended, and co-enthroned with Christ. We are co-everything with Christ, meaning co-heirs. So in glorification, when we get to heaven, we're liberated from the remnants of original sin. We're liberated from the physical pains. We're liberated from all the bad things of this world. It's an amazing, amazing picture of what this world is going to look like. Um, it, it, glorification will wipe out all the sin from Genesis, and it's something that our minds really can't even fathom. Um, I'm reminded of uh, what happens in Exodus when, when Moses goes up to uh, the mountain, and he gets direction from God on how to build a tabernacle, and he also gets these two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. And um, the people in the Israelite camp, what do they do? Moses is gone for some time, you know, communion with God, and they're waiting for Moses. And they're waiting, and they don't know what to do, so they build a golden calf. They build this golden calf, um, and they're chasing empty glory by worshiping this calf that they built themselves. And then not only that, but you know, they even go as far as to say, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So think about how crazy that is, that just a few chapters before, you know, they're, they're brought out of Egypt, and then they make a golden calf themselves, and even say, like, this golden calf brought us out of Egypt. It's crazy. 
And then Moses comes down, you know, after communion with God. He's probably feeling pretty good about himself. And he sees them worshiping this golden calf. And he says, what are you doing? Like, this didn't bring you out of Egypt. God did. And he addresses the sin, and he goes back up to the mountain. And he, he's speaking with God, and he says this in Exodus um, 33, verse 18. Sorry, looking for it. Um, he says this. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim you, proclaim before you my name. The Lord and I will be gracious to whom I, to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft on the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses goes back up to this mountain and says, God, please, just let me see your glory. Let me have a taste of this glory. And God is gracious to him and says, I'll show you my glory, but not my face. But I'll put you on this rock, and you can see just a small part of me. You can see my back. So God walks by, and Moses sees the back of God. And he goes back to the Israelite camp, and what happens is they are terrified. They're terrified because his face is shining because he's seen just a small glimpse of the glory that God offers. Just this small glimpse. And think about, when have you ever seen someone or something that your, your face is shining, but someone is terrified? It's probably never happened, right? But that's just a foretaste of the glory that God has to offer us. So I want to ask you this question is, what is the golden calf that you have made for yourself? What is the golden calf that you have made for yourself in this life? And not only that, but you said the same thing that, that the Israelites have said, that this is the God that will get me to where I need to be. You know, we're no different than the Israelites. No different at all. Where We know the goodness of God but we're so quick to forget it. And we say, whatever this golden calf is, is going to bring me to where I need to be. It might be, for some of us, it might be work. It might be, I need to get that, that promotion. I need to look good in front of these people so that I can get this, this job. It might be, for some of us, you know, man, I'm 28 and I'm still single. This is, this is hard. I'm getting scared. I know this is a big, scary thing for a lot of people. I don't know if I'll ever get married. Or some of us who are married, we're scared and we're saying, my marriage is falling apart. How do I fix this? What can fix this thing in my marriage? What is this golden calf in my marriage? Some of it might be money. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills or I have so much money that I, I need to retire as soon as possible. And that's all our minds are thinking about. For us in high school, I know a lot of us right now are thinking, what college am I going to go to? Man, if I don't get into Georgia, if I don't get into Georgia Tech, my life is over. All my friends are going there. Where am I going to go? Some of us, it might be our kids. But if my kids misbehave, like, oh, man, I, I look bad in front of these people, or I need the approval of my kids to make them love me and to be the cool mom or to be the cool dad. What is the golden calf in your life? And here's the truth is that going back to the Declaration of Independence, this pursuit of happiness, this pursuit of glory has become the golden calf in our lives. Whether you're an Uber driver from Somalia or you're a horrible basketball player or you're Tom Brady, we're all searching for these empty glory 
that is leaving us empty and, and, and suffering. Uh, I was talking to Michael Collis uh, last week, and he uh, gave me this quote from a woman named Cynthia Heimel. And Cynthia, she works with uh, celebrities, and she had this to say. When they were struggling like all of us, they said, if only I could make it in the business. If only I had this or that, I would be happy. They were like so many other people, stressed, driven, easily upset. But when they actually got the fame they had been longing for, they became insufferable, unstable, angry, and manic. Not just arrogant, as you might expect, worse than that. They were now unhappier than they used to be. I pity celebrities. No, I do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. The morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing that they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable. That was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness. Had happened, but nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. They had the thing they had thought would make everything okay, and it didn't. They had the thing they thought would make everything okay, and it didn't. They got their golden calf. They got whatever they were looking for, and life never changed. I got to be on the basketball team. Honestly, life probably got worse. Tom Brady, he got his Super Bowl rings. He got everything he wanted. Nothing had changed. He was still searching. This pursuit of happiness, this pursuit of glory, it leaves us empty because we're looking in the wrong place. But there's this beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 5. It says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and the death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And that is a beautiful, beautiful picture of this glory and glorification that is going to come. It's this picture of our new home when Christ returns and we finally see everything coming together from this garden to this beautiful new city. It's that, that suffering and that groaning that Paul talks about, it, it's all gone. And that pain that we face here on this earth, whether it's allergies or cancer or death, no more crying, no more mourning, is gone. And we can read that pretty flippantly, but if we believe what this Bible says to be true, then really think about what that means, that we are going to be in this place where there is no more pain, there's no more crying, there's, there's, there's nothing bad is going to happen. And that's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what is to come to us. So I, I know that we're stuck in this tension, something that we've talked about before, this, this idea of the already but not yet. You know, we, we know that we're stuck in the remnants of sin from Genesis because of Adam and Eve, but we have this picture of, of this beautiful city in Revelation. So 
Where, where does that leave us? And in verse 28, it says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to for His purpose, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. From verse 18, that suffering that he's alluding to, it's all working together for our good. That pain, the suffering that we endure right now, it's all working together for our good. It's always been part of God's plan A for your life to be going the way it is right now. And the, this picture of glorification is something that we need to be longing for. So New City, I just want to leave us with this, that you know, as Moses' face shone in, in Exodus, would we long for that, that same type of glory, that our face would shine the way Moses' face shined? Because his was just a, a small part of God. He just saw God's back. But in Revelation, when it's over, we don't just get to see God's back. We get to see God in all his perfection, all his beauty, and all his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, today. Thank you for um, just your goodness, God, and for this promised glory that you have, um, you have given us. Lord, we're, we're so thankful that there's something so much better in store for us in, in heaven. You've promised us that in this suffering, all things will work together um, for your good. So Lord, we, we thank you so much for being a good God to us, for loving us, Lord. We love you, and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.